Hi, it's Pete Price. Thank you very much for everybody that reacted to Billy Butler Part 1. Here's the second part of my interview, Pete Price, with the man himself, Billy Butler. We've got to now talk about Hold Your Plums. Let's go right to the beginning, Billy. And how did it actually happen? Was it an accident? Was it something? Tell us. People people get their wrong idea about Hold Your Plums. All it was was a quiz programme. Well, you put it down to the basics. You ask a question and get an answer. That's all it was. It started off basically because when I was on City, um, I moved over from Merseyside, I was doing a thing called Ring a Winner. So when I went over to City, they asked me to come up with, a, with a, a, an idea for a Sunday afternoon show. So I came up with this idea called Heads and Tails, right? And it's the lowest common denominator thing again. Everybody plays Heads and Tails. You toss two coins up, if they come down heads, you win. If they come down opposite, you don't. So it's the same thing exactly. We'd ask a question, we get an answer, toss the coins up, you know. It was and, that. and the figures were really, really good. So when I left City to go back to Merseyside in 83, I had to come up with an idea to compete with the idea I had. But I didn't originally because I thought of heads and tails, so I thought I can take it with me. So I started doing a Merseyside of a Sunday. So City immediately slapped a, a, a writ on us. Billy Butler can't do that. It was our idea. So I said, no, it was my idea. So Teddy Smith came on and said uh, to Roy, Roy Court was in charge. He said, um, I've had a word with Wally Scott. And he said it was his idea. So I phoned Wally. And Wally said, no, it didn't. I told him straight, it's your idea. So they were still saying, threatening to take legal proceedings over a quiz game, you know. And the boss called me up and he said, um, we're quite willing to back you on this. He said, but can you think of another idea just yeah, yeah. so we would have to go through it all? So I thought again, LCD, lowest common denominator. What, what else does everybody do? Everybody plays slot machines. So I got my microphone and I went down to the great big arcade next to TJU's with that giant machine. And I just recorded that, you know. So when we started doing it, that's basically what it was. But I didn't have a, a proper voice to say it's a plum, it's a cherry and all that, you know. So I got an enter hose pipe and I used to stand at the back of the studio and go, it's a bell, it's a plum. And then one day I had Metal Mickey guest on my morning show. So I asked Metal Mickey, I said, I told him about Hold Your Plums. He said, will you do this thing for Hold Your Plums? He said, yeah. So the Hold Your Plums voice you hear with the categories, that's a Metal Mickey. So basically uh, I did it, it went very well. And then I thought, it's going that well, we'll get an audience in. So we started doing it live with an audience. Wally, by that time, had come over, and he was with me at Merseyside. And basically, that's all it was. It was just a quiz show. It just happens to be that, I, I, without being big-headed, I, 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 I can think very fast, because I, I never knew what it was until Wally gave me the question. So I couldn't prepare clues or nothing right, like that. Which worked better for you? Well, I don't know. Some of them really had to rack your brain. And I mean, I listen to I listen now to some of the old tapes of old diplomas, and I don't understand me clues. Right. Even though I gave them right. at the time, I don't understand them until I know the answer. Let me stop you there and ask: When did you first realise that people were going to be uh, what's the word? A bit dumb over it. Well, that's a nice word. Well, these are Liverpool people who got involved. They didn't know. I mean, they want to do the best they can. So you give them, you give them a clue. If they don't know an answer, you know, they'll give you one. That was the, that's the glorious thing about Liverpool people. Like when we, as I said, we used to go around uh, re recording them for facts. Liverpool people, 
They will always give you an answer. It might be the wrong answer. It might be a stupid answer. But you'll always get an answer. And that was the thing with old plums. If they, if they couldn't think of the answer, they'd say the first thing that came into their head mm. because they knew people were listening to them on the radio. So basically, it was that. And it was, without being began, it was my way of manipulating the callers. Because Radio Man- Manchester immediately started one up called, I forget what it was called. And it was the same thing, but it wouldn't work. Yeah. The Manchester people are not the Liverpool people. Yeah, yeah. You understand what I mean? You see, when you say, um, I, I always ask this question when I talk about hold your plums. If I'm talking at a party or I'm talking at a dinner party, people, I always say to them, what's the first thing you think of with hold your plums? And I, this is me, always think, apart from the one I was in, was Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh, yeah. What was the name of the ship? That's right. I mean, th- and, and that's the one that stayed. Now, everyone must have one of those, because how many years did it run? It ran from 1984 to 2000. Wow. And now <laughs> running again on Liverpool Live. We did, we did 40 shows a year. Yeah. 16 years. So that's uh, 40 shows a year, 16 years. 640 shows. Yeah. And I definitely got blood pressure from doing all your plums. Really? Yeah, definitely. When did you realise it was becoming worldwide because Australia well, well, was sending for the tapes? Well, and when the figures started coming in for the Sundays, we knew then we'd hit upon something. Hmm. You know what I mean? But we never went in knowing what we were going to do. We never knew what the calls were going to be like. You know, luckily I've got all the tapes because a woman in Runcorn phoned me about, let me see, about 20 years ago. Right? And she said, Billy, I'm going to South Africa. I'm going to South Africa, she said. I used to record all the Hold Your Plums. I've got them on cassette. Do you want them? I said, I'll be up in five minutes. Wow. And she gave me a big box full of Hold Your Plums from from 85 to about 92. Wow. You know, because Merseyside never had any. Right. They never kept any. They never recorded it. Because in Merseyside, like a lot of other stations, they don't keep variety. They don't keep DJs, they keep sport and news, you know. So if I didn't have them, there'd be nothing exist of it, really. So that was a, a, just just golden, that. And, of course, when I'm editing them now, I have to take a lot of them out yeah. because, as you've said about the phone callers, it's different. It is. But a, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff we did was double entendre, you know. Was there ever any talk of television taking the idea? There actually was, actually. There was a guy got in touch with me, and he was very, very keen on doing it. He, he, he hired a studio, and, well, as you know, we put two DVDs of it out. We put two DVDs of Hold Your Plums out. Uh, the volume one, which what, what, when they offered us it, they said to us, they said, well, they said to us, do you want to take a straight fee or do you want uh, per per thousand? And I said, we'll do per thousand. I think we'll do well. Wally, oh, I wouldn't oh, chance it. No, <laughs> best to take the money. I think. They, well, I've got a, I've got a plaque there at home. They sold twenty five thousand copies. You know, in this area. You know, we've still got the the the, the, plum, the, uh, the hand with plums in at home with the trophy. You know, so we made two DVDs. So somebody must have thought that will work. And I, I forget the guy's name. He, was a producer. he came down from London. He had a chat with me. He phoned me up. Said I think it'll work. And this, that, and the other. Because I didn't. And he said, No, I think it'll work. We can adjust it so it, it'll work. And then I never heard anything from him again. Did it start to fade towards the end because? Um, it was not, I, I was not, I was going to say old hat, it's not old hat at all, but was there a time when, like you said, with Merseyside, you were running out, uh, and it was time to move on? No. Did you feel that with Hold Your Plums? No, never happened, because never even, happened. even when, even when we left City, 
you know, the figures were there for Sundays. It was carrying Sundays. Right. You know, he never listened to anything else. He carried Sundays. You know, and they said to me, well, it's plums, it's brilliant, but after this, you know, it just goes bottom. And because of that, I said, well, I'll tell you what, when plums is finished, I'll do a Motown show, which he used to do. And so that helped keep some of the plums figures. Right. You know, but no, it never, never, popularity never ceased. Tell me, um, moving on to entertainment, you were talking earlier about the shows you did for Merseyside and, um, you know, you were bringing income in. You did 58 sellout shows for Pontins. Was it because the, the amount of entertainment you put on, why do you think, looking back, it worked? Because it was for Scousers. It was for their own. They were coming to entertain themselves with their own, as I used to call it. You know, and as you say, we, 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 over the three days, we'd have about 24 acts on. We'd have lunchtime Saturday. Uh, no, sorry, we'd have Friday night. We'd have lunchtime Saturday. We'd have Saturday night. We'd have lunchtime Sunday. So they get four shows and the bingo and all the stuff like that as well. But we'd, we'd have at least 24, 30 acts on and all good ones as well. But everybody felt camaraderie. They, you know, they were all scouts together under this one roof. And in, in those 58 shows, we had one purse stolen. And I think one fight. You know, which, which is brilliant. And there's so many tales about Pontins because people let themselves go while they were there. You know, I mean, the people smuggling stuff in. It was legendary. Meanwhile, he did all we could. We changed the wristbands. We changed the way of getting in. But they always found a way round it. You know what I mean? Because we we got our figures of Pontins at eleven hundred. There was more than that, and you couldn't move. So well, that's all we got on the door. <laughs> people found a way. The most ingenious one, and this is absolutely true. We had a fancy dress night. Had a fancy dress night at Pontins. Great response. It went on for blinking ages. The doormen are on the door, right, and they're letting people in. And this guy comes in with a, a long mac on, right. And the doorman says, I'm going to have to search you. He said, yeah, fair enough, put his hands up, you know. And he says, absolutely so, put his hands up. Put, taps this pocket here, he's got a bottle of gin in it. Taps this pocket here, bottle of gin in it. Goes to the inside pocket, bottle of vodka. Goes to his trouser pockets, full of miniatures. He said, I'm sorry, mate, you can't come in. He said, why not? He said, you can't come in with all of them. He said, I mentioned the fancy dress. He said, what has he? said, I've been off licence. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> true. Billy, you give, as I give, uh, an awful lot on radio, but who is the real Billy Butler? Is there a private Billy Butler that we don't know? No, not really, no. I'm the same at home, basically, as I'm, I'm on the radio. My emotions are the same, you know, it's as simple as that, you know. I mean, I, I, I've heard you do it. I fill up on it regularly. If I'm reading the request out, which is sad, I'll fill up while I'm reading it. Or I'll play a record and fill up as well. I think it's always great that the people out there know you have the same feelings as them. Even though they think, you know, look, look, look how well he's doing. All that. They know that you're a real person in there. You know what I mean? And that's why, that's why when you got really uh, emotional records, you know, I knew if I played them on Merseyside, I'd have the audience in the palm of my hand because we got the most emotional people in the world, you know, when we were on the radio anyway, and they probably still are now. Like I played that song, remember Tiny Little People? I made that the biggest kids record over the whole of Merseyside. And now, and, and dance schools now do you know, the tiny little people as a routine mm. on the shows. Devil Alexander, he, he wasn't really well known. But when he, when he did, um, I, I, if I could see the Ronda and I started playing it, 
And then he did uh, the answer to everything and I started playing it. I remember David coming to see me and saying, I never knew I was getting all this work on Merseyside. And somebody said, Billy Butler's playing your record. Yeah. You know, and the power then was, I could, I could get a really good record that I knew my listeners would like, play it to death, and then put them on the floor of the pavilion. And I said, sell out. Interesting you say that, because one thing that made you very angry, because it was stopping towards the end of your career, was you weren't allowed to to push local bands because the music policies were changing. And one thing people listened to for Billy Butler, and you were one of the few saviours of local bands because now they've only got YouTube and social media. It, it is unreal. That made you angry, didn't you? Because okay. you are passionate about what you do. Oh, yeah. Because, and you can share your passions with your audience. Like I said to Les, I'm, I'm going to, I said, when I go on Saturday, I'm going to mention about wine. Because all of a sudden, I said, because Les drinks wine. Now, I, whenever you go out, it used to be, could uh, I have some, you know, um, um, some Merlot, please, some Red Merlot, yeah. Small or large? Um, Leslie, large. It's not that anymore. All of a sudden, it's small, medium and large. Now, that's a contract. That's a contract by the pubs. It used to be small and large. Now it's small, medium and large. Who knows how much you get in the medium? And who knows whether that medium was the live you had before, the small you had before. It annoys me. You know, I, I hate seeing the public conned. You don't understand what I mean? Because you've done it yourself. You've had something that gets you really angry. Yeah, yeah. And people say, you're right, you know, <laughs> which I could say that. They've got somebody saying it for them. Billy, 50 years on radio, 60 years in the industry. Regrets? Oh, I've, done, I've got none. Really? Not at all. Wow. That's, that's an incredible answer. Only for the day Sue took me to their office and said, I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not, not renewing your contract. At Merseyside. That was it. At Merseyside, yeah. yeah. No, no regrets at all. <laughs> Nothing to... I'm just grateful for all of it. It's as simple as that. Why did you take that so bad? Did you not think one day it was time to move on? No, I didn't take it bad at all. I accepted it. Right. You know, I thought, well, that's the way it is. You know, I can't complain. You know... Uh, but it, it, it was Facebook, the Echo, and Twitter and all that. They caused all the furore. Right. They went berserk. You know what I mean? But Liverpool people are incredible. I mean, I was, I was, at, I went to Mountford Hall to see um, Red Rum Club. We went to the. Um, I mentioned this today. We went to the the, the um, Casa for a drink first, and it was like it was like sardines in the Casa. And I, 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 that's the first time I've been out with a crowd. You know what I mean? I've, I've avoided crowds. First time being out with a big crowd, crammed together like that. And a guy came up to me and he said, all right, Billy, he said, uh, uh, I'm a mate of Twiggers, Smiggers, who works here, of course, over Monday. He said, I'm a mate of Smiggers. He said, are you going to Mountford? I said, yeah, I am. I said, uh, I tell you what, it's, it's terrible in here. I said, this is the first time I've been in a crowd, he said. I'm a bit worried about this. He said, worried? You're 79, you've had a good innings anyway. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> he brought totally it to light. Totally yeah. dismissed, totally dismissed. Let me take you back to one of your hobbies. And um, we shared a hobby. Uh, I wasn't as passionate about it as you were, but uh, I think it was called the Liverpool Stadium. It was a Friday night and oh, it yeah. was wrestling. Wrestling. I didn't know you went. Didn't you know? No, I didn't know you went. I thought we spoke once. I was oh, sitting. You probably did. Yeah, I was sitting behind you because I, like you, you challenged them. I challenged them on radio, and I was. I got it with Kevin Keneally. Oh, Kevin Keneally. Yeah, and what they did with me, they said to me, "Play around, photographs, blah blah blah." And they said the photos aren't working. Hurt him, and he hurt me. 
and there's the most dreadful photo which I couldn't even describe and it's disgraceful. Now, you challenged, didn't you? Yeah, well, I actually did, as I said, I did it live on telly. But at the same time, I challenged a, a, a guy, Mad McMurphy or something like that, you know. And he just threw me all over the place. It's as simple as that. But um, I used to love the stadium. It, it was 10p. It's, I, could, I, could, I used to stand at the back in the 10p's. That downstairs was two bob and four bob for sitting down. And John Moores used to go the wrestling in the front seat, you know. And Jack Pye was the hero there at the time, you know. And that was the era, as you know, with the women running down the aisle with their umbrellas yeah. and hitting the referees and everything. And if you, if you remember, you went to the stadium for Friday night and you used to have police horses there because the crowd was right oh, yeah. down, all Ridiculous. the way down the road. It was yeah. enormous. Wrestling is so different. Were you surprised when it developed the way it did in America with this huge stadiums with 120,000 people in it? American ought to do it. We killed wrestling after world. uh, When people like Big Daddy started doing the wrestling and things like that, they killed it. Mm-hmm. They turned it into a kid's sport. The kids were liking them and, and things like that, you know. And it took us a while to recover from the Big Daddy era. But they've got it right now because there are so many Brits who've made it in the UK. You know, there's been a Scottish guy who'd be world heavyweight champion. There's been an Irish girl who's now the Irish world heavyweight champion. You know, the, the British ones are really making it over there, which yeah. is great. Kevin Keneally was a great wrestler. Yes. He worked at the cavern on the door, Kevin. Did he? Yeah. Didn't know that. I did I did a wrestling presentation at Par Hall and I was on the top table on the stage and as you know the wrestling rings on the floor. So I'm here, the wrestlers are there, you know. And one of the guys has got one of the wrestlers in a Boston crab. So he's got the fella lying on his he's on his stomach, he's astride him, pulling him backwards on his back. This fella's facing me in the Boston crab and he's going, No, no play the record for me, man Bill. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. <laughs> Joe Smith. <laughs> now, here's a hard question, and you've got to answer this properly. Um, you've got five, five big moments in your career. <sighs> well, I'm getting the Citizen of Honour. Obviously, that was a big one. Getting the Citizen of Honour. Um, big moments don't have to be... It, 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 no, it can be anything, but a big it, moment it, for you. For you. Um, Within the Scoutology things as well, you know, that was it. Uh, and just meeting listeners all the while. It was always a big thing to meet listeners, you know, because that's why Pontins were so good, because the people there told you what they didn't like about you and what they did like about you and what they did like about your playing or, or, or anybody else worked with the station, you know. So I'm proud of the achievement of doing 58 gigs at Pontins, you know, and all successful as well. But one of the moments I remember, for totally different reasons, is when Paul McCartney did The Empire. It was when he was doing a tribute to George Harrison, after he died, obviously. And the rumour was Paul was going to be there, but no one knew for certain. Me and Phil, me and Phil Easton compared the night. And we, 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 we had a feeling Paul was coming. And he, he, but nobody knew. And then suddenly me and Les were in the wings, we turned out, there's Macca, right? But it was my turn to introduce somebody else. I was introducing Ralph McTell because he was one of the acts on doing a tribute. So I went to introduce Ralph McTell. But before I introduced him, I said to the crowd, why don't you help me out with this one? All right? Give me a P. You went, P. I went, give me an A. You went, A. I said, give me a U. U. Give me an L. What have you got? P. 
Paul! I said, yeah, that's for my lad Paul. It's his birthday today. He's delighted. <laughs> you know, and I always remember the scream from the crowd. <laughs> Or words to that effect. Now, you mentioned Scousology. I was sad when that stopped. Now, for those people who are listening now, I'll tell you why Scousology was great. It was everybody in the industry. The public weren't allowed. And when you got a ward, you got booed, you got laughed at, they (laughs) talked about it. It was a joke. It It was, to me, one of the best awards ever. And then they let the public in and it changed. Yeah, but they were fun, weren't they? they? Well, it changed us as well, Peter, because if you remember, first of all, it was basically local people, mm. local club actor of the year, local yeah. comedian of the year, local yeah. DJ of the year, stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, whoever took over the Echo decided to make it more, so you'd have people like personality of the year, Silla Black, who was never going to be there to accept it, you know. And they'd have things like that yeah. where people were nationwide stars. And it never used to be like that. It was just for local people. Your music collection, how many records? Oh, I wouldn't know, Pete. Right. Re- you've still got your records and you've got your CDs. I've got a lot of them, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've sold a lot over the years, yeah. which you have to, because I don't believe in hanging on to something. Um, like, you know, if I've got something worth 100 quid, I'll sell it. Mm-hmm. If it if it gets a thousand pound a week after it doesn't bother me because I've got what I wanted for it, mm-hmm. you know. I think it, I think I've done two record fairs in my life, you know, when I needs to move stuff. And I, I've, I've I've sold records, and a fellow comes and said, "You know that record you sold for twenty quid? He's got it on the stall for hundred quid pound." I said, "Yeah, but I've sold mine." Yeah, yeah. You know, I have no regrets about things like that. If I sold something and it's worth a bomb, I don't mind. I got what I wanted for it. <laughs> You have another hobby, car boot sales. Oh, yeah, I love it. What do you love about it? Oh, because it's the anticipation. You know, you go there. I've been, I've been to one for ages because of the pandemic. But you go there, and they don't know what they are because everybody's a collector now, Pete. You know, you, if you get a bargain these days, you'd be very lucky because everyone's a collector. You watch all the shows on the telly and everything. But I love it because, you know, there's already people that are planking stuff on there. It, 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 there's funny things happen. Like, told you, I, I went past this, when I mentioned about the place you like going. It's that it, I was at this stall and this, this fella bought a hammer. He said, how much is the hammer, mate? He said, uh, three quid. He said, okay, three quid. Said, I've got a nail so it and try it out. <laughs> you know, and there's a fella, there was a fella, there's a fella selling, is it all true? There's a fella selling mops. You know, mop, mop with, with the white heads. Yeah, yeah. And he had sunglasses on them. And it had underneath, Albino Beatles, two pound. That was remember Grand National Day, and there was a Grand National Week, and there was a guy, and he had a stall full of binoculars, you know, for the races. His fellow said, excuse you, mate, have you got any telescopes? <laughs> There's always funny people there. Yeah. I'll tell you, it was very funny at car boot sales, Tommy Staunton. Yeah, you know Tom Linda's oh, no, husband. Tom. Yeah, yeah. He used to go with me every Sunday, uh, but he'd hide his stuff that he bought until Lynn found it, and then she barred him from going to car boot sales, so he can't because go he to car so boot sales <laughs> anymore. But he, he was always very funny. I always remember when the guy, a guy had one of those Mickey Mouse telephones. You see, and Tommy said, "How much is a Mickey Mouse telephone?" Fella said, uh, "Tenner," and Tommy said, "A tenner." I said, "Yeah, a tenner." He said, that's a bit dear. He said, dear. He said, I've brought that from America. I brought it from America. He said, not only have I brought it from America, I've had it adapted to British phones. Tommy said, oh, give it a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the cavern. 
Let's go back to... But the Mardi was good, Pete. Yeah, 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 no, no, but I've got and to we talk ran about, the Mardi. Yeah, but I've got to talk about... But I'm about, very proud of the I'm Mardi got because... got to talk about the camera. We, we took a few You are soul. not going to talk over me, and it's uh, been a long show. But we changed it from soul to progressive music. And we music. are not... Because I've been waiting for him <laughs> to talk over to me. The reason I'm going back to the cavern is, did you, in your wildest dreams as a music... Uh, entrepreneur, as somebody knew exactly what he was talking about, because you didn't make many mistakes, realise what would happen to the Beatles. No. Too much happened for anybody to predict it. Bob Wooler always said that the big... Bob Wooler said they would be bigger than Elvis. Whether that was just a phrase, I don't know, but as it turned out, he was correct. You know? And I, I knew they'd make it, I knew they'd be big, but not on... not on the strength and not as longevity... You know, because, you know, you know, that's it. They're still there. They're still earning millions and millions of pounds as the Beatles yeah. from the stuff they sell. But don't forget, there was a lack of appreciation for the Beatles for a long time. For, from I'd say from 75 to 80, there was a lot of, a, a lot of people were against the Beatles, eh, because it all gone. I mean, I, I did the first old Mersey Beat show at, um, at the top rank, and I just said, pity the Beatles can't be here. And they booed. They were getting booed. Because as far as people were concerned, you know, they'd had to do in Liverpool and they'd abandoned us until, until Lennon died. Lennon's death resulted in an upsurge of Beatles fandom because there was nowhere to go in Liverpool to get music about, about the Beatles. When Lennon died, they opened the Cavern Mecca. And from that Cavern Mecca, that's how the Beatles explosion. I, I did a te television documentary with Roger Phillips in 1984, and it finished off at the bottom of Matthew Street. And I've, I've still got it, and I say to the camera, who knows what Liverpool's upstairs will be? I think when it does happen, it's going to happen in this street here, you know? And that's what happened, you know? Where were you when John Lennon died? I was in bed. Mark Jones phoned me. You know, John Lennon's just been shot. I said, you're joking. He said, no, I'm not. He said, can you, can you come in the studio? I said, yeah. But I wasn't surprised, because it was America. Billy, the music industry, where is it going? It's in disarray or what? A totally disarray. And it, it's too big now, I think, because of Spotify and Amazon and that. It's too big to be able to keep, a, 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 to keep adapting to, to what's coming off. I mean, the number of times I see bills for concerts and stuff like that, I don't know half the people on. That never used to happen. But the business itself has, gotten, has now got so vast, you cannot keep control. It's like the thing, like with television, I bet, I bet many years ago, you, you, could do, you could identify nearly every cartoon character on the telly. Of course. Now, it's impossible. Years ago, you could sit at a table with someone, let's say with four people, and you talk about television, and you'd all been watching the same programme. Now you sit at a table with six people and talk about the telly, and you're all watching different programmes. It's all become too vast. You understand what I mean? I still feel terrible when I, I see a band or somebody tells, tells me about a band and I play them and they're brilliant. And I say to myself, how is it I didn't know about them? Because the business is now too vast. It's, it's too easy now to, to, put a, to put a record out. Did you enjoy doing Panto? Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. How many have you done? Oh, don't count. Well, I think six, I think. Six or seven. Did you ever yeah. do The Empire? Yeah, I did The Empire twice. Did you yeah. love that? Oh, well, I just love pantomime, yeah. you know. And depends, as you well know, it depends on your producer as well and what you can get away with. Yeah. 
Because when you're doing six weeks and you're doing two shows, sometimes three shows a day, unless you have a bit of fun, you'd never get through it. Yeah. And sometimes, the, 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 depending on the producer who is, is who, who thinks what we think is funny, he thinks is not funny. But we know our audience, we know it is funny. You know, and they clamp down on you. You know, and you have to put up with it. But you, you do sneak it in, as you well know. Absolutely. That's, uh, yes, absolutely. As you know, we had a great season with you, as you know. You've never been so terrified in all your life. Only because I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> um, if you picture this, ladies and gentlemen, I've mentioned it before and I've written about it in my column, but uh, um, I was um, in my dressing room, half naked, with a microphone swinging between my legs and my bra on, and these two shout, You're on! And I ran on stage, and they're standing at the side of the stage, went, In five minutes! I was naked, virtually, as a dame. The children were mortified. Mickey Finn came in one day, and these two had blocked his dressing room off and said there had been a police raid and there was smoke coming out. They are, Leslie and Billy Butler are crazy to work with. Absolutely crazy. I remember the late Norma Thomas came in with their uh, uh, chocolate slices, you know, with the ones with uh, chocolate on the top and the cream in the middle. And he used to, his wife used to give him his dinner. And we, 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 we got in his dressing room and undone it. Take the cream out and put shaving lotion in it. And <laughs> just pour it back. Another time we had these pork sandwiches. We nailed them to the counter. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have fun or you won't survive. <laughs> Indeed. Do you ever see yourself retiring? Oh, yeah. Really? No, I don't think so. If there's work there, I'll do it. I mean, I'm lucky, Peter. The only thing I can do is what I'm doing. I can't do anything else. I'm the world's worst handyman, you know, and I, I can't cook or bake. Yeah. I'm very lucky that I've made a living out of the only thing I can do. You ever, ever wanted to own or buy a club? I know you promoted clubs and stuff, but did you ever want to own your own club? I've never had that much money for that, I don't think. Yes, I've never looked I'm into straight. it. No, I've never, never, no, honestly, I've never looked into it. You've made a fortune over the years. A fortune. We just listened to the show tonight. A fortune. Have you ever heard the word alimony? <laughs> I wouldn't know. I'm gay. Well, there we are. I'm gay. It's fantastic. <laughs> there we are. All you say is, there's your toothbrush, clear off. <laughs> well, no, that it doesn't happen anymore. That's what you used to be able to say, but you can't. Uh, so you never, no, seriously, did you ever think of owning your own nightclub? No, not really. No. But we, we did for a, I did once think of opening an off-licence. Oh, right. Um, when we first moved house over to New Brighton, I did the sort of premises there. Right. But just never got any further. But there was an idea I had, which I thought would work, talked to a couple of investors, they thought it would work, and then... Just slackened off. You've got an amazing I've wife. I've promoted shows, as you know. Right. But, you know. Uh, yes, which we talked about. You've got an amazing wife who keeps you young without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah, definitely. And forces you to do stuff whether you like it or not. She's got, yeah. But that keeps you young. That keeps you up here. I've booked a night in next week. You haven't. <laughs> I'm boring. <laughs> I mean, it, it's yeah. incredible. She's but, fun. And yeah. the main thing is, Peter... She's encouraged me from day one. Yeah. She's always been there backing me. But she's your best mate. Exactly. Yeah. She's always had faith in me, you know, and I'm so grateful that I really am. She's, she's a shining light in my life. You must be very proud of your son. I mean, you're proud of all your kids. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, we have a disc jockey in the family. Yeah, who, uh, 
did you ever think he was going to be a DJ? Well, as I say, I, I was separated for, for a while from, before, before I got divorced. I got divorced. And so I, I miss some of Lee's best years, you know, when, you know, when he was, when he was in the position he tells you he got out of when he was into the drink, yeah. when he was into yeah, the yeah. drugs. And I always feel back because I wasn't there enough for him to rely on or something like that. But what he's done and uh, getting himself out of it and getting other people out of it is remarkable. But I've always known he liked music. I can remember sitting in the car with him and I'd play, and you, I'd play a new record for him or turn it up. And I'd say, what do you think this one will do, son? And he always had an opinion of it. The first one was Power of Love by uh, Jennifer Rush. I played that to him and he, he, he thought it was fantastic and all that, you know. And the first, one of the, the first, when we were separated, one of the best records, that, one of the best things I bought for him, he asked me, Dad, for my birthday, would you get me a double deck? So I bought him a double deck to play the records on. And that's how we started, basically going around all the pubs, doing DJing in the pubs. I can't believe you just said that. You what? know, you played uh, Jennifer Rush. It was the first time I ever heard it. You played it. Oh, what a song. It was just knocked me sick. Oh, it's just song. absolutely knocked me sick. Billy, you've met, we haven't got long left, but you've met so many famous people, so many. Um, there was one you were nervous with that you spoke to on the phone. Yeah, the Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And Batman. I was dead nervous when I interviewed Batman. That was Adam West. Yeah. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. He told me about, he told me about picking up this uh, this Doris Day lookalike at a club in Hollywood. And when he got home, it was a fella. Oh, really? <laughs> I've got a book signed by him. I have as well. Have the, you got... The, so he must have been... Back to the Back Cave. That's right, yes. Yeah, he was, he was opening a shop in um, ah, Bold Street. Ah, so I must have missed you there. Lovely guy. Yeah. Lovely yes, guy. I've still got mine. Of all the... I'm the Hulk. I've done the Hulk. Yeah. As well. I don't mean I've done the Hulk. No, I've interviewed the Hulk. Yeah. And you, you, know. you, you also are a huge country fan, aren't you? Yeah, love country. Can't keep up with that these days either. There's too much going on in the world of country as well. It's very hard to keep your fingers on what's happening. These days, radio is split in, into, as you know, these, when, when radio used to be that you wouldn't know what was coming next. You look at some of the charts from the 60s and 70s and you go down them and it's all different. Yeah. The charts now are basically, the top 40s, basically dance, you know. And so, you know, it's, it's very hard now that, that radio now is in so that, you know, radio that plays that, radio that plays that type of music, radio that plays that type of music, you know. And, you know, if you do know, like, like our least pro, let's say, like in demand, you know, they play dance music and that's that, you know. I, I, I still stick to the old type of radio where you play something you think your audience will like. And a lot of people without pulling myself up and you know it yourself a lot of a lot of a lot of it depends on your introduction to the record you can sell a record by introducing it you can get people's interest who are listening who'd never heard it by telling the story of the record and then playing it you know i remember seeing charles Aznavour on the Southport theater and he'd explain a song and then he'd sing it in french and i wouldn't know what he's talking about but i knew what the song was about because he told me you understand what i mean Billy, we've come to the end. Uh, you've got a couple of minutes to say... I don't know how to finish an interview like this because I, I could talk for another two hours. Uh, I find you a fascinating man. I'm thrilled to call you a friend. Well, thank I'm you very much. I appreciate that. I'm thrilled that you brought Leslie into my life because she's an amazing lady. Um, well, if you like me that much, why won't you let me look at your record collection and make you an offer for them? <laughs> How do you finish this show? I shall ignore that with a contempt it deserves. It doesn't! <laughs> yeah. How do I It's finish? on my bucket list. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'll explain that next week when he's not here. Um, what, what do you say to your listeners, to people who love you, to people who don't like you, to, pe to people listening now? Well, How what, do we finish? In the Echo, the Scousology, they, they, did, they did a poll for Liverpool's top DJ. And the most popular DJ, Norman Thomas, won it. And I came second. But they also had a poll at the same time for the most unpopular DJ, which I won. Right? And Norman said to me, hard lines, Billy. I said, how do you mean hard lines? He said, well, you know, I, I said, yeah, you come, I come second in the most popular and first in the most unpopular. How many listeners do you think that is? Because you still <laughs> listen even though they don't like me. You know, I just want to say thanks. Um, as I said to you before, Peter, I'm very lucky. I'm doing the only job I know how to do. And I just like to thank all the people who've had faith in me to give me that job all over these years. If you enjoyed that... Why not subscribe? It costs you nothing. Liverpool Live!